Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Thursday, the third day of April 2014. And today we are reading from the Big Book. We are in the chapter More About Alcoholism, and we are on page 43, and we will be starting with the first paragraph that begins, Fred's story speaks for itself. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Adrian, 12 Traditions, Kathy K. And then Katie F., Chelsea, Esther, and Janice M. And the share code for yesterday, the second day of April, is 6123. 6123. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's tr fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Adrian to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, this is Adrian. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to a God to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to, to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Adrian. And I will now ask Kathy Kay to please read the 12 Traditions. Thank you, Monica. This is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. Uh, tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Tradition three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Tradition four, each group should be anonymous except autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Tradition five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. 
Tradition 6, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Tradition 7, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Tradition 8, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Tradition 9, AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Tradition 10, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the AA name ought never be drawn into public, public controversy. Tradition 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And Tradition 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Kathy. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And we are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We're in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 43 and we're going to start with the first paragraph, Fred's story speaks for itself. And I will ask Katie F to please begin reading. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia, Katie F. Fred's story speaks for itself. We hope it strikes home to thousands like him. He felt only the first nip of the ringer. Most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled before they really commence to solve their problems. And, you know, I love this line. <laughs> we have to be pretty badly mangled. And, you know, I can't decide what is the bottom for someone else. Um, I that I had hit bottom thousands of times. I thought, this is it. Okay, I don't want to do that again. I surrender. I would put my hands up. I would, you know, just say, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And yet, this would come when I would think that my best idea was to just eat this once, to just deviate this one time and it won't hurt me. Um, so although I came to the room when I was 14 and I really was like Fred was in the very beginning, uh, by the time I um, did truly surrender and commence this way of life, I was the jaywalker, you know, just uh, running between um, insane thoughts, thinking that this time uh, I wouldn't be hurt by them. And, you know, it, it just takes what it takes. And I you know, can uh, still be that way where I, you know, just keep beating and beating something up, trying to do it my way, not with the food, but with other things in my life. And, you know, the, the good news about this recovery is it's not just about the food. It's not just about putting down the food and then my life just magically got better. Uh, it didn't get that magically better. Uh, things still happen. People still die. People still get sick. People still hurt my feelings. People still don't like me. Um, but, the, but I don't have to go back to the food. I don't have to start back all over again 
with uh, going down that road of thinking that uh, the food is going to make me feel better and being numbed out by um, life. Today, I have a way of living which teaches me how to get through every situation that comes up. But I have to be willing to go to any lengths for my recovery. And I have to be willing to get on my knees every morning and ask God to direct my day. And that's the difference between, you know, how I am now and how I was back then. You know, back when I was in the food, before I could even think about what I was going to do that day, I was already stuffing things in my mouth. But, you know, I got badly mangled enough to be willing to do what someone else told me to do. I trusted them before I could trust myself. And, you know, if I did get a, uh, a, if I do get crazy thoughts today, I say, well, I wonder what so-and-so would think of that. And, you know, I'll run it by someone. And if they say, you know what, you may want to think about that before you do that. Um, Or if I know already, like, that's the dumbest thing in the world, then I don't do it today. That impulse to just jump in and do things, uh, you know, (laughs) not perfect, but it's gone. And, um for the most part. And I, I don't want to go back and see how badly mangled I could be because I, I have my own experience and thank God I can remember. I have the gift of remembering how bad it was. Uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. This is Larry. Larry, go ahead. Larry and then Leah. Go ahead, Larry. Good morning, Monica. Thanks so much for your service. I'm Larry, recovered compulsory reader from Chicago. Um, so, you know, spread story does speak for itself. Um, you know, all the stories do. You know, they speak for for itself. They they're 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 not a lot different than my story. Um, they tell me the story of, of you know, of just uh, horror, you know. And, um, you know, um, for me, um, it was just the, the first nip of the ringer. I, I thought that my problem was just that I was stuffing my face with my binge foods day after day, hour after hour, Groundhog Day again, you know, same thing every day. And, and really that was just the nip of the ringer. I didn't see the other things. I didn't see the... Uh, the, the affairs outside of my marriages, you know, I didn't see the manipulation and the lying um, that was just a, a daily part of my life. Oh, but by the way, I'm, I'm a professional. On paper, um, I'm respected. I didn't respect myself. This was the nip of the ringer. It was just the very beginning for me. You know, um, most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled before they really, you know, they really start to do anything to solve their problems. Um, that was the case for me too. I didn't think I had a problem, really. I just had a problem with food and, and a little bit of weight. And, you know, for me, I didn't come into this program, you know, five, ten, uh, you know, three, four, five hundred pounds. I really didn't. Um, you know, and, and maybe those, maybe those, and I talked to many who, who did, many men in particular that did, and you know, maybe there was a, a gift, the gift of desperation um, because they were, you know, they, they, they were physically dying and they wished they were dead. I didn't understand that necessarily, experientially. But, but my life was a complete and utter mess. And, you know, um, it, it, it happens when it happens for us. You know, that, I mean, I knew that I didn't like most days when I woke up. Um, I didn't like where I had been mentally, emotionally, um, uh, physically the day before. However, um, I'd soon blot all that out. Even after I came into program, I would blot that all out and I would numb myself uh, to those feelings with a variety of things. Food was just one of the things. There were many other things. Those, those relationships, those toxic relationships that I was probably the biggest toxic part of them <laughs> were, 
were, were, were other ways that I blotted those things out, you know, and, you know, and then eventually, you know, I was brought into this new way of living and I learned these principles and now I live a life of gratitude and service and love and kindness. And the biggest thing for me is acceptance of all things, you know, that my serenity is an inverse kind of relationship to my acceptance, the lower my acceptance of people, places, and things around me, um, you know, then my anxiety uh, is goes in the other direction. Um, so today, um, yeah, eventually I, I did work these these steps, you know, and it's it's made all the difference in the world. And you know, I'll just end by saying that um, you know when I you know it talks about you know, that we'll have in a big book about what our life will be like. You know, we talk about in the vision for you, we talk about these things. And, you know, I do, I can extend the vision. The vision is so much different today. My life is beautiful today in the midst of challenge and calamity and hardship. It's beautiful today and, and there's peace and serenity. But I first had to be beaten up, you know, beaten up bad before I was willing to concede that I had to, apply some labor, some work to this. So um, it's it's a great way of living. I'm very satisfied with this way of living. Uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Leah, you're up. Thanks so much, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name's Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled before they really commence to solve their problems. Uh, this sentence has always meant a lot to me. Um, the, the definition of mangled is battered, damaged as by abuse. Um, and yes, you know, I relate right into that. Um, you know, I was, dis- I was self-destructing, you know, by my own fists under the guise of uh, seeking ease and comfort, um, you know, in cellophane bags and boxes. Um, I was beaten. I mean, this disease took a hold of me, um, you know, at a very young age, the big book here in more about alcoholism is really um, bringing to light and smashing the reality of of a real compulsive overeater. Meaning, yes, we have an allergy of the body, but more and more, uh, you know, the greater aspect of the disease is this obsession of the mind, which keeps sending me back despite the suffering, despite all those consequences. Um, I had a mind which kept taking me back to that which was killing me, like Jim, like the jaywalker, uh, like Fred, you know, and uh, even though this disease took hold of me at a very young age, it beat me to a pulp. I mean, it was fast and ferocious. I knew I was a compulsive overeater. I had been since I was a little kid. I didn't know what I was up against. I did not understand the depths to which this disease would take me. I didn't understand how beaten up and bloodied I was going to get. I did not see that writing on the wall. And even uh, through pursuit of understanding about eating disorders and, uh, you know, my uh, upbringing, etc., my own understanding and awareness of compulsive overeating never stopped me from compulsively overeating. You know, um, it uh, it just really beat me to a bloody pulp. So I relate in because it was after that that abuse. Um, I relate, you know, to these, uh, you know, women who are in abusive marriage and they keep going back, uh, you know, thinking that that 5% of love uh, feels good. Never mind the 95% of the time that they're getting uh, bloodied uh, up and, and battered and blackened eyes. It's that 5% of feel good you know, that they're hooked on. Um, you know, I, I kept focusing on the food and weight for a long time. Uh, I was an expert at compulsively overeating. What, what I did not know about prior to January 19, 1987, is how does Leah live in Leah without having to compulsively overeat to tolerate it? And that's where the steps came in. I had a rough time living. I didn't have a rough time compulsively overeating. I knew how to compulsively overeat very, very well. I had a rough time living. And the 12 steps 
allowed me to be transformed. Not in my, you know, a reborn, the big book says, reborn, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. It has enabled me to be the wife that I am today, to be the mother that I am today, to be the daughter that I am today, to be the friend that I am today, to be the community member that I am today, to be a fellow among the fellowship that I am today. And this is not a story about me. This is a story of God's grace when I had gotten mangled enough to accept and admit 100% powerlessness because 95% powerlessness got me 95% recovery. And you know what 95% recovery got me? Nothing. It was valueless. It was valueless. You know, I had to admit a 100% defeat in order to, uh, embark on this program of recovery. So this is not about my personal success. This is about what happens through my human failure when the grace of God can come in and make something of that failure. And it's called transformation. And it's called the program of recovery. It's called a spiritual awakening. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, a spiritual awakening sufficient to bring about recovery. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And this is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, Fred's story speaks for itself. You know, we hope it strikes home to thousands like him. He had felt only the first nip of the ringer. So here in this chapter on more about alcoholism, they have been sharing stories with us from all different types of of people, alcoholics, and where they were at. You know, we've had some who have lost absolutely everything and are, are, are living to drink. And and each one of these, of course, they're talking about the, the fact that um, they have an alcoholic mind. But here at Fred's story, he hasn't lost everything. And I guess what I'm getting out of this paragraph is the fact that that's the the case with him. He hasn't lost everything. He's not a bottom gutter drunk. He's, a, you know, he, he's still functioning. Things are still going pretty good in his life. And I think this paragraph is trying to tell us this. You don't, don't compare yourself with anybody else. You know, your bottom is your bottom. And hopefully and thankfully, God gives some of us a lot higher ones than others. And, um, and thank you, you know, thank you for that, that we don't have to sit here and read, well, I'm not that bad, you know, don't compare. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. There's only one word for that, yet, because you will be that bad. But if God has given you the grace now to see that you are a compulsive overeater and you have an alcoholic mind and you're powerless over this, grab hold of this program, grab hold of these steps and let's go. And I'm going to pass with that, and let's go on to the next paragraph. And Chelsea, could you read for us, please? Good morning. This is Chelsea. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Many doctors and psychiatrists agree with our conclusions. One of these men, staff member of a world-renowned hospital, recently made this statement to some of us. What you say about the general hopelessness of the average alcoholic's plight is, in my opinion, correct. As to two of you men whose stories I've heard, there is no doubt in my mind that when you were 100% that you were 100% hopeless, apart from divine help. Had you offered yourselves as patients at this hospital, I would not have taken you if I had been able to avoid it. People like you are too heartbreaking. Though not a religious person, I have profound respect for the spiritual approach in such cases as yours. For most cases, there's virtually no other solution. Okay here, so um, we're dealing with these doctors now saying that they agree with the conclusion that from these stories that these folks have told, the conclusion that was coming to that we make as the first step is a conclusion, not an action step. So coming to the conclusion that we're powerless and that um, we're going to have to need power if that's our dilemma, because that's what a plight is. A plight is a dilemma. 
And it's saying here that the hopelessness, it has to be 100%. So that means we still can't be having um, ideas that we can beat this game somehow. And it goes back to where we, when we started this chapter, where they said we had to fully concede, fully concede. And that was in our innermost selves. We had to fully concede, and the delusion had to be smashed. So it was a lot of language used here about making sure that we are 100% sure that we still think that we can find our own way out. And it says that really what we need to do is have the spiritual part and the program of action. One without the other is not going to suffice. It's not going to be sufficient to bring about the type of personality change that will be required for you to complete this process and be recovered. And it kind of also speaks to with these doctors. Um, here it says that um, had you offered yourselves as patients at this hospital, I would not have taken you if I had been able to avoid it. People like you are too heartbreaking. It kind of brings you back to that thought with Dr. Silkworth, which we had read earlier when he spoke about needing a mental lift. He said, when I need a mental lift, the, the guy that was hiding out in the barn, remember that whole thing? And um, he went from hiding out to a barn, going through this process, and, um, you know, following his physical, putting down the food, it gave you the whole order. He walked away a free man. He became sold. He became sold on the ideas, the ideas, the, the principles. He became sold, and as a result, he walked away a free man. And I can speak to that as my experience because I've been able to be grace to walk away a free woman by trusting in God, the spiritual part, cleaning house, that program of action. So if the plight is our dilemma, and the dilemma is that we are inadequate, we don't have any kind of mental defense or anything against this disease, we're totally inadequate to do it, and we need help. We need power that can stand up to this type of a disease. And the conclusion that we make that we are powerless, it goes back to over here on 42 where it says, this process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. Can't do it. Can't do it. The book tells us to burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he... Trust in God and clean house. And that means doing all of the steps in the order they're in and recovering from this and keeping spiritually fit because there's a price for the freedom. That's a caveat. Freedom isn't free. And I urge you, if you're on this line today and you're being ambivalent or if you're just gathering up information like I did for many, many years, nine years, stark raving sober, and sometimes long stretches of abstinence. But my mind, st I still believe the lie. My mind went back and said it was okay to do the food because I had not walked through this process spiritually or doing any action. So I made the conclusion now. I bought into it. I'm sold, and I'm willing to do the rest of the work that's required, and that is all 12 of these steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Chelsea. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Sarah. Sarah. Go ahead, Sarah. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Sarah. I'm grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for th that shared so far. I, you know, gotten so much out of it. You know, I was thinking to myself that, you know, our disease, unlike the alcoholic disease, which I think is more accepted as truly needing. Um, uh, you know, the 12-step programs by the medical community much more than, unfortunately, our compulsive overeating. You know, I work in the medical field, and every day I see people that are directed by their physicians to keep going back for, you know, um, stomach staplings and uh, any bariatric kind of surgeries that maybe can, can um, try to help them, which, you know, most oftentimes, unfortunately, uh, brings them to, to their knees and sometimes to very serious medical conditions uh, because, um, you know, we, we can't stop. I mean, you know, it's like the easier, softer way. 
And I just wanted to address that because I think that's, you know, it makes me so sad that, you know, we, you know, my opinion is, uh, and it's just an opinion, but, you know, that that we as as compulsive readers um, need to start breaking through the medical community with with our solution that we've come to. And, you know, I, I, I see so many, I had somebody call me um, the other day that was saying, you know, they've had enough with 12-step programs, you know, but they're out there and they're doing, you know, not only with the food but with the alcohol too. And, you know, it makes me so sad, but, you know, I can't, I can't save anybody. I'm not capable of that. But what I can do is offer where I've come from with this all. And what I can say is that, you know, I walked into the rooms, you know, pretty broken person, um, in 1995 at 2.22. And after five years of very clean abstinence, a lot of service, and a lot of real dedication to the program, I thought I had it, you know. And I picked up, and I ended up in a very heavy relapse and, and ended up ballooning back up to 2.78. And, you know, I don't, do not doubt that as far as my weight goes, I feel I could be a 500 to 1,000-pound person. I, I know I could with my eating behaviors. But even worse than that, as people have talked about, you know, I have an alcoholic mind. So, you know, my behaviors left unchecked, left without the steps, are totally like almost criminal. You know, it's like I have no thought whatsoever of other people. And I think that's where I had to come to. I had to come to a place where I had to say, you know, I surrender, you know, I, I, I need so badly, you know, I had this gift of desperation that I wanted to do it um, with God's help and that I needed help from other people. And at that point, that's when, you know, the solution started really coming clear to me. And I'm so grateful, not that I believe everybody has to go through relapse, but I needed that for the purpose of humility. And I think that is really a huge part of the foundation of which uh, my recovery has to stay you know, gratitude, humility, because I am not the, you know, the end all of anything, but I just need to stay right-sized. And with the help of my higher power, you know, this program, other people, working my steps very diligently and practicing the spiritual principles, which, which are outlined in the, in the book, I can remain abstinent one day at a time, and I'm so grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Deborah. Deborah? Was it Deborah? Yes. And then Larry. Go ahead, Deborah. Thank you. Good morning, my fellow Vision for You um, comrades. And I am grateful to be here and thank everyone for their service. And um, what they say about the general hopelessness of the average alcoholic plight is, in my opinion, correct. Uh, Jumping down 100% hopelessness apart from divine help. And this, again, I'll reinforce definitely step one is a conclusion. It is just kind of letting it sink in that I have what these other people have to the room that I came, that um, as I went through and listened and kept coming back to meetings, they, in a sense, piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I exhibited um, for him in Washington was a hopeless condition and cited cause and um, from out of their own experiences, is what I heard at meetings. This process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. And I must, I do remember very well in my very first meeting, I'm not as bad as you, I'm not as bad as you. Oh my God, she's doing the same thing that I've done. And my words to myself were, I will buy this big book and do it myself, write my own dissertation in six weeks and be done with this. And that was in 1982. And I've had good years. I've had the disease came back and grabbed me, or actually I gave up on the, I, I, you know, stopped the action plan, didn't develop it enough, understood it deeply enough um, 
that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Um, I have this I thing that compels me to, when I put substances, definitely with sugar, white flour, fat, um, sometimes crunchy, salty, I want more. And to get beyond the idea that I've done anything wrong, I'm being punished, um, you know, get over that I'm inferior and a defect and no good, which are a lot of the feelings that go along with being a food addict. I had to accept in my heart, you know, this is the way I am. And only a spiritual solution could relieve me of it. I mean, I think we as addicts have more willpower than our, you know, small thumbs or fingers and than a lot of people. We are just so determined. Um, however, I am powerless over the allergic reaction that my body takes when I ingest these substances and the mental obsession, the thoughts in my ear between my ears that whisper, you can have some more. You can have some more. Nobody will know. I am truly powerless over that and only by um, accepting and actively working the steps, trusting God, cleaning house, and then continuing to carry this strong, viable, reliable, steadfast set of directions that maybe anybody else who's ready and wants it will hear the message and come ashore. Thanks for letting me share my path. Thank you, Deborah. Larry, you're up. It's Edini. Larry, you're yeah. up, and then and then we'll have Edini. Okay. Uh, thanks, Monica. Larry recovered uh, compulsive overeater from Chicago. I just, you know, the first time I read this paragraph, the reason I wanted to share on this paragraph was that, you know, I was talking about many doctors and psychiatrists. I've, I've worked in the, the mental health um, field for many years. Um, Ironic how the mentally ill are often attracted to the the mental health <laughs> professions, but that was that was the case for me. Um, good thing I found this program in the nick of time. But what what strikes me with you know with this um, this paragraph is here was a you know a doctor a psychiatrist basically saying you know from a world renowned hospital you know and speaking to this issue of the general hopelessness of the average alcoholic's plight. And he, he goes on to give his opinion that, you know, look, I wouldn't have even taken you guys. You know, I, I based on the hopelessness of it all, you know, but then he goes on to say that he, had, he has profound respect for the spiritual approach. For most, uh, for most cases, there is virtually no other solution. That's a bold statement. I, I can tell you in my experience, most of uh, the colleagues that I've run across, um, you know, they, they wouldn't. They would admit. They would not admit to that. They don't believe. We're not trained in that. Uh, in acceptance of something that we can't necessarily see, and wrap our brains around, that this quantifiable and evidence-based. You know, of course, I can tell you there's plenty of people on the line here that are are evidence of of of, of the, uh, you know, the, the the fact that this works. But but you know what? Um, what's interesting to me is that, you know, it's just the acknowledgement. And I agree that the medical community, the acknowledgement that this stuff works. There's a reason why the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous flourished. Now, I'm not suggesting that everyone in it or that becomes affiliated becomes recovered. We all know that's not the case. And many leave and there's a high recidivism rate. But the fact is, is if, if one works this program, if one is a true alcoholic like me, and has that alcoholic mind, and has the, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. You can see that. And they work this program. The evidence is clear. This spiritual toolkit works. And it's not necessarily applied in the secular world. Um, but it does work, and it's an amazing, amazing transformative experience. And uh, anyways, um, I, think, I think the tide is turning in that direction. You know, there's a lot of hopelessness out there. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. 
Thank you, Larry. And Irini, you're up. Thank you, Monica, for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. What really popped out for me was you were 100% hopeless apart from divine help. Wow. That means to me being spiritually dead, disconnected, and completely separated from the one thing that I needed, which is the power that I never had. And it's being separated from God. To be spiritually born is having a connection with God and to live in the spiritual principles. It is a rebirth of renewing of the mind that brings us in living God's way and not our way. That's the, that's the transformation. That's the change that we have, the spiritual change. It's always keeping our focus on God and not being distracted on what self brings to us, whether it's people, places, or things. We, you know, we get to see, with spiritual eyes, we get to see above our challenges and above, above our circumstances. And it's by practicing these principles these beautiful principles, it's honesty and hope and faith and courage and integrity, willingness, humility, self-discipline, perseverance, uh, spiritual awareness and, and service. I mean, these are all so beautiful. And this is being a part, a part of divine help by living these principles. And if we don't live these principles, then we are apart from the one thing that we need. And it's, um, it's, it's this molding of our minds, and it's this continuous cleansing of our hearts, and it's a daily reprieve. We're starting from um, the beginning every morning to, to re-cleanse our hearts and and he does for me what I could never, ever do for myself. The more I'm challenged, the more I'm tempted, then the more of an opportunity that I have to receive his power, just as long as I hold his hand, just as long as I keep my focus on him. He gives me everything that I need and not necessarily everything I want. So it's this spiritual knowledge There's no intellectual here. It's spiritual knowledge. It's within. It's a gift of having eyes of the heart to understand and be empowered. It's his light. It's always shining. It's our eyes that are shut. If we can't see the light of the spirit, then our eyes are shut. If we can see a little bit of the light, then our eyes are squinting. But if we open our eyes of our heart, there's so much light there, and it's just shining so bright. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. And would anyone else like to comment on this before we move on to the next paragraph? This is Paula. May I comment? I heard Paula, and there was someone else with Paula. Haya. Haya. Okay, Paula and then Haya, and then we're moving on to the next paragraph. Thank you. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. Well, much has been said, and I'm a liking moving on. But it says here, and I'm going to stay right here, I have heard there is no doubt in my mind. Now, this is the doctor. She's not even a little bit. I had to come alongside him. No doubt in my mind that you are 100% hopeless. And as was said, if you think you got a shot, you try it. You try it, and you continue to try it, and that I did. You know, we came in here on page 31. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink or eat like other people. I'm not going to change the wording here, but only in my mind, to drink like other people. Heaven knew I had to catch up with heaven, and I finally knew. And it says very clearly, apart from divine help. I received help, 
many areas in many ways and by many people. Good help, may I add, but it must be divine help. And it ends with, and I'm going to go to that last line, for most cases, there is virtually no other solution than the answer. And what is that? The spiritual approach. Honey, you ain't coming in for a landing. You will continue to fly and to circle in that sky, and that I did. The sky created by the Creator Himself until I realized that. Until I realized that and came to that place. And you would say total surrender? Oh, yes, in totality. There was nothing left. And then I turned to the one. And there the solution and there the answer. And there is where I live today. Happy, joyous, and free. No matter what the outward circumstances are, that is how I come into it. Thank you and for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Haya, you're next. Thanks, Monica. Hi, everyone. This is Haya, very grateful, recovered, compulsive eater and bulimic in Denver, Colorado. And uh, thank you, Monica, for your service, and I want to welcome anyone who's new. Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, I just want to touch on one sentence here um, where it says, you know, as, as to two of you men whose stories I have heard, there is no doubt in my mind that you were... 100% hopeless apart from divine help. So what is it that we actually recover from? The, the description of recovery, it says in, the, in, our, you know, in our preface, we're 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So he's saying here that I had no, there was no doubt in my mind that you were 100% hopeless apart from divine help. They were seemingly hopeless. Seemingly, why? Because the divine help took them from hopeless to hope and being able to give hope to others. So it's seemingly hopeless, yes, without the divine help. Now, I don't want to freak anybody out because when we start talking about this, sometimes people get talking about their their incredible connection that they have with God now. And, um, you know, we have a whole chapter coming next that's going to address that. So the, the, the hoop is very wide don't worry uh, if you're saying, well, I'm not going to be able to do that, um, that divine help. That, don't worry. We're going we're gonna to make it very, very, very possible um, no matter where you are. Um, and I was one who didn't want to be in the rooms because they talked about God. It freaked me out. So, but this is, the, this is the plight. The plight is that apart from divine help, and that's what this chapter is smashing home over and over, that self-knowledge, you know, gain information, even being mangled, because it says most of us have to be badly mangled. That's like not even mangled. That's like badly mangled. That's beyond mangled, right? So over and over and over and over again. Um, and that's the seeming, seemingly hopelessness. The seemingly hopelessness is, yeah, on my own resources or on your resources for that matter, because I certainly look to other people to fix me. Um, I'm not, this isn't going to work if I really am a real compulsive eater, which is that there are certain substances I put in my body and I cannot control how much I take. And then when I say, oh, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore, I, I end up going back, which is the greater aspect. So it, it's seemingly hopeless. Um, but this is also the step that, you know, it says, um, you know, we have to admit that complete defeat, this is the first step in recovery. The first step in recovery, the conclusion that on my own resources or on your resources, I am badly mangled. I cannot do this apart from divine help. And it's the only step that we can actually take with perfection. We're going to learn um, later when we get to step six and seven that um, the only one we can take with perfection is is saying, I'm done. I can't can't do this food thing. Um, I can't go back to these foods and I can't stay stopped on my own. But, rem- but the good news is it's just seemingly hopeless, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I am a uh, healed woman today, um, and I take my daily dose of medicine um, through steps 10, 11, and 12, and, um, and that allows me to stay in this grace period, this grace place of, um, 
of a healed mind and body. And for that, I'm very grateful. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Haya. Let's move on to the last paragraph of this chapter. And we are going to go until 8 o'clock um, if, if there's uh, people wanting to share on this last paragraph. And Esther, can you read the last paragraph, please? Good morning, Monica. Thank you. Uh, my name is Esther C. from Canada, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So what a nice way to recap this chapter. We've got Jim's story, Fred's story, uh, the parable of the jaywalker, the story of the man of 30. All these um, stories were brought to reinforce the point over and over and over again that I've got no mental defense against that first compulsive bite. Do I understand? Do I understand that, that I, I have no mental defense against the first compulsive bite? Neither I nor any other human being can provide that defense not my intelligence, not willpower, not gargantuan efforts, not, not the intense desire to, to, to overcome it, and not even the intense suffering. None of that will provide the defense. And you know what else doesn't provide the de- defense against that first compulsive bite? The time that I've spent in OA. I could have been here for years or decades. I could do tools. I could do service. I could know everything there is to know about Overeaters Anonymous and the 12-step program, I can know the big book inside out, upside down, and backwards, and that still is not going to provide me with a defense against the first compulsive bite. Not at all. So does this describe you? Because it certainly describes me. Are you powerless as I was? Because if you come to that conclusion the way I came to that conclusion, then the big book is teaching me that the defense against the first compulsive bite is going to come from a higher power. And that's my solution to my problem. This is what I need to, to um, this is a conclusion I need to come to in order to eventually be free from the clutches of the obsession. And this is actually good news because it means that there is a solution and that, um, you know, as we read onwards, we're going to f- find out exactly how to go about um, attaining that solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. And would anyone else like to comment on this last paragraph here? This is Janice from Pittsburgh. This is Sharon in Colorado. I heard Janice. I heard Lauren and Sharon. Okay, Janice, you're up. And I'll be brief. Thank you, Monica. Janice M., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Okay, like was stated, once more, like they always repeat, the writers always repeat it because, you know, I'm a quick forgetter. Um, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, which means to me is, well, all these examples of Jim and, and the jaywalker, et cetera, at certain times they could control it, couldn't they? But it was never effective because it was from the mind. Effective means to me that it's successful. They were successful in the way they thought, the obsession of the mind. Were they? No. It did not produce, their own mental defense did not produce recovery. And that's me. I can identify that, you know, at certain times I could. But what happened? I don't know. I don't, sometimes I didn't even know when I was stopped. My mental obsession brought me right back to that substance. So it's got to be effective. Whatever result it is, it has to be effective mental defense. And, you know, three times they mentioned the word defense, which for me was, what is the resistance? There has to be something that is is a protection for me against that first drink. Well, I mean the first bite for me. Um, Well, that defense, that protection, that care – that resistance that comes from only from not another human aid, not another human being, but a higher power, capitalized, higher power, which I call God. And with that, I pass. Thanks. 
Thank you, Janice. Lauren, you're up. Okay. Uh, Lauren S., a recovered compulsive overeater. I I love this paragraph. Okay. Need to set a timer. Um, all right. Lauren, recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. There are numerous parts of this book um, before this page that says synthetic knowledge avails us nothing. Um, some, okay, some page numbers, if this can be of help, uh, XXVII, um, page 11, page 22, page 570, and then in the 12 and 12, page 40. And those are just numbers I jotted down. But really, there's, there's numerous other page numbers. And, okay, if I don't believe the questions asked in this paragraph, it means I still have some reservations about if I'm really a compulsive overeater. And the questions are, do I believe at certain times I have no effective mental defense against the first bite? Do I believe that no human being can provide such a defense and that my defense must, must, must come from a higher power other than humans? Finally, how can I depend on the group as my higher power? I can't. The group is just a bunch of beautiful children of God who are just as powerless as I against the first bite. We're almost at the end of step one. We got about two more pages left for step one. It's crucial before we go on in the work, step one has to be in our hearts. That means you might have to take there's the timer. Okay, you might have to take a few more weeks for step one. It's vital. It's the foundation. It's the foundation. It's the foundation. Um, thank you very much. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. And Sharon, you're up. And we're almost at the end of our time. Hi, uh, this is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And thank you, everyone, for your service. And the two things that's just jumped off the page at me was what the doctor's statement was. There is no doubt in my mind that you were 100% hopeless apart from divine help. And then in that last paragraph, um, we have no mental defense against that first drink. I have to get rid of the loopholes um, where it says at certain times you have no time. I, I had to get rid of that loophole. Mental defense against the first drink. And no human being was going to provide that for me. Um, and then my defense must come from a higher power. Those are all the facts that I've written down today because I was one of those that had such a sick mind that I did not, did not, would not listen to the facts. And so my mind remained a sick mind. And I was able to get abstinent and stay that way for a while, but the mind was still sick. And so today I see the truth for what it is, and I am so grateful. And with that, I pass, and it's available to any one of us. Thanks. Thank you, Sharon. And this is Monica. And his defense must come from a higher power. Wow. Because my own history was my power, as much as I thought I had a lot of power and a lot of things I could do, and my determination got me into, you know, I was successful a lot of things except for this. I had absolutely no power. All my determination, all my willpower, all my inner strength, all my knowledge, it didn't work. A sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. And I had to face the fact and look at my own history. Monica, you can't. You never have been able to. You can't stay stop. And so if my problem is I don't have the power to stay stop, then what's the solution? I need a power greater than me that can do this. And yes, 
There, it, it, it's, it's out there. There is a higher power. There is something greater than us. And the first 100 recovered alcoholics in writing this book are saying, yes, we've been through the process. We know what's on the other side of the door because we've walked through there. There is a power, and it's available to all of you. And it is a higher power, and it cannot be you, and it must be greater than you. And with that, we have come to the end of our time for today. And I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Janice, can you read for us, please, from A Vision yes. for You? Certainly, Monica. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.